Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. Thank you so much for joining us online today. We've been doing this series called Divine Invitations. And as you think about invitations, oftentimes we think of formal invitations that come. Maybe a wedding invitation that comes in the mail and it's, it's got a you know, nice paper on it, maybe some frilly stuff, and it asks you, do you want chicken or fish? And they're hoping you don't send it back because they don't want to buy you dinner anyways, but you're filling the thing out. And you got evites that come, whether it's an event from church or the city, like there's different evites that happen, or maybe your friend even text messages you. Says, you want to grab dinner? You want to go on a run? And that's a lot of times what we think of when we think of invites. But have you ever thought about the unseen invitations that happen in life? Like interruptions? You think about, I don't know what it's like for you when you get up on a normal Monday or Tuesday and, and you're thinking about the things you've got to get done. And for me, I'll write down top three, maybe five things that I've got to do that day. I can't remember the last time that I went through all five of those things in order and nothing else happened. Because interruptions are part of life. Like just think about online church and the experience that you have. It's probably different than what you expect it to be every week, even though you've done it before. Like last week, Pastor Dave Morley preached a great message. He was talking about that we shouldn't be, you know, isolated socially. We should be isolated physically during this time, but not socially. We need to be able to connect with each other. And as he was talking through that, I'm watching the sermon. We're singing the songs, like that whole worship. I'm there with my kids. I look over, and my two daughters are on the couch. My older daughter's putting her feet on my younger daughter, and she's complaining. I'm like, cut it out. And Waymaker, we're singing the songs, and it's happening, and she keeps doing it. So her sin nature takes her. She doesn't need room for her feet. She's just trying to touch her sister because it annoys her sister. And so, Stop that. Don't sit by each other. Get off the couch. And eventually it's like, cut it out. I'm trying to worship Jesus over here. Like, getting angry. It's interruptions. Not what I planned. Or, or maybe you're watching the sermon and, you know, the pastor's in the middle of some talking about eternal life or something. And like, that leaf blower, is that on my TV? Is that, is my neighbor, why is my neighbor blowing his leaves at nine o'clock in the morning? Like, What's happening in this month? It's not what I planned. Or maybe you even hopped on today and, and you had the rainbow, the forbidden rainbow wheel came up. It's buffering or something, something's happening. It's like, you know, wagon wheel can be rocked and Jesus can take the wheel, but I'm going to kill that wagon, the rainbow wheel. I don't want that rainbow wheel. Throw the computer out of the street. I don't like anything to do with that. It's interruptions. I'm going to ask you a question at home today and I want you to answer. I really want you to answer. So you say it out loud to the screen if you're by yourself. If you're with somebody, you look at them and answer. When God changes our plans, does he still have a plan? When God changes your plans, does he still have a plan? If the answer to that question is yes, which it is, that means that when there's interruptions in our lives, he's still working. When there's interruptions in our lives, they're actually his invitations. I believe that God's interruptions are God's invitations into what he has planned for our lives. But oftentimes an interruption, that this virus, this crisis has been called an interruption, right? It stopped everything. It stopped movies, it stopped restaurants, it stopped schools, it stopped sports, it stopped every, everything in our lives has been interrupted. It stopped church. And I believe it's God's invitation into something he has for each one of us today. Now knowing that, knowing that an interruption is God's invitation, knowing that God still has a plan doesn't change what's happening in our hearts. And our hearts are all over the place. We've talked to our congregation there's some people that are afraid to come back. There's some people that shouldn't come back to church right now. There's some people that are raring to come back to church right now. Some people are angry that they can't do the things they want to do. Some people are afraid to do the things that they kind of hope they do. And, and all of that, God's doing a work in our hearts. He's inviting us into, I believe, delight in Him. And so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today in Psalm 37. 
If you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 37. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 7 and talking about God's invitation to delight, an invitation to delight in him. Psalm chapter 37 is a psalm of David. He's a king, the most famous king in Israel's history. And David at this point is an older man. And we know that because verse 25 says so. He says, I've been young and now I'm old. He's just dealt with that. So Psalm 37 verse 25, he tells us is later in life. And a lot of times we jump in and we pick some of our favorite verses out of this psalm, but we miss the context. The context is one of envy. And David's talking about how you can look around and see people, sometimes that, that are wicked people, and it seems like their life is going better than yours, and you can be tempted to want what they have. And remember, David didn't even have Instagram. He didn't, even have, he didn't have friends going out, hanging out with each other, and then not inviting him and him seeing it on his phone. He didn't have the neighbor's kids were getting awards, and he's just trying to help his kids pass classes. Like, he didn't have some of the stuff, some of the temptations we have, but he was aware of envy. Have you ever had that temptation where you see somebody else, and, and they're not even trying to faithfully follow Jesus, and you're trying to faithfully follow Jesus, and, and it's hard. And then it seems like they're happier than you? And that's what David's addressing in this psalm. Look at it with me. In the first couple of verses, he says, don't, don't fret, don't get angry about that. But verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Probably the most famous verse in the psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So here, did you see it? As we were reading through this, we read past the greatest sin that you can possibly commit. Did you notice that? Like, think about it. What do you think is the greatest sin that anyone can commit? We've been talking just the things that have happened on social media. Just think about some of that lately. Racism. Remember the, the young black man is jogging through a neighborhood. He gets shot. And people start talking about, we need to call out white supremacy is, is a sin. Listen, any supremacy that's not the supremacy of Christ is a sin. White supremacy is a sin. Racism is a sin. Murder is a sin. And you think about it as a church, we talk about a lot of times human trafficking, objectifying a person for your own pleasure and not taking into consideration they're an image bearer, pornography, different things like, what's the worst sin? Murder? Corporate greed? Adultery? Like, what? what? Here we read past it. Did you notice? Did you see it? It's the most famous verse. We're commanded here. It's a command. Delight yourself in the Lord. Failure to delight in God is the greatest sin we can commit. Maybe you don't agree with that. Remember Jesus was asked a question, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind. Love God with everything you are. And there's one that's like it. It's love your neighbor as yourself. And they flow together, really. Doesn't it stand to reason that if the greatest commandment is to love God, that the greatest sin is to not love God? To delight yourself in the Lord is to love God. It's to love God with all that you are. That's, it. That's what it is to delight in him. So then doesn't it make sense then that the greatest sin would be to not delight in him? In fact, I would argue to you that the, that the root of all sin is this, is failing at this command, to delight in God. It's when we fail in this that we seek delight in other things. See, we were made for pleasure. We're people that we go after pleasure. We go after a great meal, hearing great songs, reading a great book, watching a great movie, we see beauty and we're, we're attracted. We're drawn to beauty. We want the, God's wired us for pleasure, wired us for delight. Many of us don't think that. Many of us believe that God is trying to stop us from pleasure. 
And somehow he's holding out like he's a cosmic killjoy and he doesn't want us to enjoy things. And so it's like Adam and Eve in the garden, like God's holding out on us, like all the good stuff's over here. And that's really the context of this passage. When David's talking about, I'm looking at these people, they're wicked people, or we, I perceive them to be wicked people, and they're enjoying things that I'm not enjoying, and I'm a follower of God. It's tempting to then fall into the temptation to think, somehow God's holding out and he doesn't want us to enjoy. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Maybe you're more holy than me, and you've never experienced that, but I know for myself, I remember when I first became a Christian, I had a job, I was working at General Motors, assembly line plant, we were putting cars together, and in the mid-90s, if you bought a, a van from General Motors around 1995 and the exhaust fell off, I apologize. That was my fault. Um, I was the one that would put those on. And in a shift, I'd put on about 100 of those. And so sometimes it got mindless. And I'd be praying, thinking, talking to God. And sometimes I'd reflect back. I was a new Christian on past sin. Now, sometimes I'd reflect on past sin, and it would break me. Like, I would, I would regret it. I'd wish it hadn't happened. I'd turn to God and grow closer to him, but then some, there were times when I would think about it and i think, I, I could have done more. Like, back in that time, it, was, it wasn't okay to sin, but it was perceivably okay when I wasn't a follower of Jesus and at least understandable, and now it's like not okay, and so I could have gotten, I could have had more fun, and what my thought process in itself shows that I wasn't delighting in God. And then I had a view of God, like, he doesn't want me to have pleasure, he doesn't want me to enjoy things, and the reality is that all throughout the scripture, he calls us to to joy. In fact, unshakable. Did you ever see some passages in Scripture and think to yourself, does anyone really experience that? Like in James when it says, consider it joy when you experience trials. So you can have joy in trials when you have trials of various kinds. All kinds of trials. You joy? Or you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 and it talks about the, the Macedonian Christians there. They've got severe affliction, great poverty, and they're called cheerful givers. So they've got joy in giving, even though they're poor and they're experiencing affliction. What is that joy? That's, that's the kind of joy we're being commanded to here. It's a joy outside of circumstances. It's a joy that comes and it's key. This is a command to let yourself in the Lord. And then it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The problem for many of us is we read this verse backwards. And so we live it backwards. We read it like, well, I want these desires. And so i got to do what God wants me to do. And the way we read it is, I'll delight myself. I'll do what you want me to do, God, so that you'll do what I want you to do. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give me the desires of my heart. Like, so that if I delight myself in you, you're going to do the things I want you to do? And what we miss is that when we follow the command, delight ourselves in him, that the desire he gives us in our hearts is we want him. And so the question ultimately becomes, how do we delight? How do we delight in him? And I think one of the problems for us with this passage of Scripture is we rip it out of context and we miss what's all around it. And if we would dive into what's around it, it would show us how to delight in Him, how to accept the invitation He has for us. Invited to delight. And the way that we do that is that we trust Him. See, trusting in the Lord is how we delight in God. Trusting in the Lord is how we delight in God. If you look at the passage, in verse 4, it tells us to delight. But did you see verse 3? Verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And then you jump down to verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And so in verse 3, we're commanded to trust. Verse 4 talks about delight. And then, oh, let's come back to trust. Because delight's wrapped in trust. 
If we want to delight, see, our delight results from our trusting in him. You can't delight in God if you don't trust him. You can't, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've got no hope. You'll continue to find delight, to try and find pleasure, to try and find delight, and all kinds of things, and it'll always leave you empty. But when you place your faith in Christ, you, find you can enjoy a good steak. You can enjoy a great vacation. You can enjoy beautiful scenery. And it points you ultimately to your Savior, that you would delight in him. But how does it happen? By trust. By trusting in him. What does it mean to trust God? Trusting in God means this. You do what he says regardless of the results. You do what he says without trying to manipulate and figure out and try to make your plan. Like trust, He told me to do this, share my faith, radical generosity, like whatever it is, I'm going to do it regardless of how this turns out. I'm supposed to be honest and authentic. I'm supposed to confess my sins. I'm supposed to, regardless of the results. And so I think of a story like, this might mess some of us up because we usually only talk about this around Christmas time, but Mary in the Bible, Jesus' mom, and some of you don't know, you're like, is it Tuesday? Like, I don't know what's happened. Since I've been locked in my house, I don't know. But a lot of times in the middle of the summer, we're not talking about Jesus' birth. But if you go to that story, you know, the problem for Mary was she had never read the Christmas story. Like, we read it every year, and we think about this cute nativity scene. But, like, try and think about being Mary. You're a nobody in the middle of nowhere, and an angel pops up? That alone's enough, right? And then the angel says, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> I haven't been with a man. Nope. It's God's baby. It's not like she went, oh, now this all makes sense. Like, are you, what, are you kidding me? And he's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to rule and he's going to reign forever. He's going to sit on the throne of David and he's been prophesied about. What would you say if you were Mary? Most of us, we think about the results. What's Joseph going to think? He's going to ruin my marriage. What are my parents going to think? Am I going to get kicked out of town? Maybe, maybe I'll get stoned to death because that was allowed. Like, maybe I'll get stoned to death for adultery. Even though I didn't commit adultery, this is what's... I can't do this. Do you know what Mary says? She doesn't say, God, tell me about the results. Tell me how this all works out. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's trust. That's doing what God says, regardless of the results. And that's what's being talked about here. You want delight, verse 4? Then look at verse 3, trust in the Lord. You want delight, verse 4? Look at verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him commands. See, here's the problem with trust. Trust is one of those things that we know as followers of Jesus. You might even have a t-shirt that has Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on it. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. Lean not on your own. Don't put your weight on the things that you know. But acknowledge Him. He'll, he'll direct your path. He's gonna, he'll take care of the results. That's, that's what the passage is saying. you got a t-shirt for that. But then something doesn't go the way you want. Interruption. Whether it's this crisis, whether it's something with your job, whether it's an emergency, something happens in your family, your kids, and you're like, I trust you, I'll sing the songs. But don't mess with this. Don't ask for my money. Don't mess with my kids. Don't play around with my time. I can't be doing these interruptions. It's like when, they, when life happens, we tend to forget what it looks like to really apply the things that we say that we believe. It's kind of like at my house this week, I had an experience with a couple of birds which I know sounds odd. It's not, I'm not a bird watcher. I don't, we don't own any birds, but uh, I had an early morning Zoom call with some folks, and everybody in my house was asleep, and when I got done, I decided to let the dogs outside. Opened the back door, went to the screen and porch. There were two little birds that had flown inside of our screen and porch. And we've got two little dogs, but I know these dogs, if they can get to the birds, they'll kill them. And so I took the dogs, I'm like trying to not let them see the birds, and I shoot them out into the backyard. I got them out in the backyard. The problem was, 
I left the back door open while the birds were on the screen and porch. And when I looked back to the back door, I saw this bird that was hopping and sitting on the threshold of my back door. At that moment, I started whisper yelling. Have you ever whisper yelled? Because everybody's sleeping in my house. I'm like, no, no. Like, I don't want the bird to go in the house. His buddy flies into my dining room, and the little guy that's sitting on the step, as I start walking towards him, he flies up behind my TV in the living room. I don't know what to do. My wife's sleeping. I don't want to wake her up. Kids are all upstairs in their beds. I don't want to wake them up. So I've never wrangled birds before, but I grabbed an umbrella. It was raining outside, so I grabbed an umbrella. I start trying to get this bird. It's not going out. I didn't know what to do. I set the umbrella down. Went and grabbed a broom, opened the front door, and thought, if I can kind of shoo it towards the front door, then we'll be okay. So I come in the living room. I grab the broom, grab the umbrella. I'm chasing the bird around the living room. It's flying everywhere. It lands on the back of the couch. And I thought, oh, man, if this thing gets the couch all dirty, Shannon's not going to be happy when she wakes up. And so I start walking slowly towards the bird. It swoops underneath this chair. What I'd forgotten was I hadn't closed the back door. The dog came in and was sitting underneath the chair. Next thing I saw, <laughs> big mouth. He's gone. That bird's done. My chances now at this point are that I can get 50% of the birds that are inside my house safely outside of my house. So I go up to the dining room. I've got now the broom and I grabbed a dustpan. The umbrella wasn't working. And this bird's sitting on the floor. And so I just kind of walk towards him. I'm thinking maybe I can scoop him up. He starts hopping around. So I start talking to him. Like, come on, buddy. I want to get you out of here. Trust me. I even said, trust me. And he's, he's going along. I go, turn left. He didn't know left. He went right back into the room. And so then I started making noises at him, trying to get him to come towards me. I was like, same noises I make to my dog, but I didn't think about that. So I called my dog into the dining room unknowingly. Starts going after the bird. The bird flies to the window, starts banging into the window. So I went over to the window and I'm trying to grab him. He's getting ticked off at me. Now we both want the same thing. I want him free outside of my house alive. He wants to be out. It's not happening. Until I pin him with the end of the broom into the dustpan. And at that point, he's really ticked off. He's chirp screaming. I don't know if you've heard chirp screaming, but it's chirp, chirp. It's this terrible noise. And I'm walking by, I walk him by the living room. I try to blind, you know, I don't want him to see the carcass of his buddy over there and traumatize him. So walk him over through there, get him to the front door. I let him out the front door. But he wasn't happy with me. When I was done doing that, I thought, how much do we like those birds? And we've got this view. They thought I was a threat. I was trying to set them free. We've got this view of God like he's holding out on us. We've got this view of God like, He's going to harm us. We've got to do our own thing. The Bible says it like this. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And so you've got this bird, bird number one, who thought he was doing the right thing, flying for safety underneath the chair, led to death. you got bird number two, who's like a lot of us, that we say we trust God, and we want pleasure. And the Bible says that he want, and I wanted the bird's freedom, and the bird's trying to get free, flying out the window, but even when God intervenes and does something, we're fighting, we're upset about it, we're resisting. Does the scripture say that Jesus came to rob us of abundant life or to give us abundant life? John 10 says that he came, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is the one that deceived Adam and Eve in the garden that said that God was holding out. God came to give us life and he came to give it to us abundantly. Why wouldn't we trust him? So how do we grow in trust with him? Go back to the verse, it tells us. The scripture has the answer. The, thing, the things it's commanding, it tells us how to do. In verse 3, it said, trust in the Lord and do good. In other words, it's not just this passive, trusting in God's not just sitting there and thinking God thoughts. Like it's not some past, there's actually action. James says, faith without deeds is dead. Do what he says. He's given us commands, obey the commands. Dwell in the land. You're, it's a security. That's security is what's being talked about there. 
and befriend faithfulness. What in the world does it look like to befriend faithfulness? Like you're looking for a friend. Like, I need a friend. Hey, faithfulness. Like how does, what does that even look like? What is that? I like the translation that the American Standard Version gives, or the Amplified Bible. Let me read it to you. It says it like this. Psalm 37.3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. This picture is this table and you can have a feast on the faithfulness of God. Like think about the faithfulness of God. Past, how's he been faithful to you in the past? How have we seen him be faithful in the scriptures in the past? Present today, even future and some of his promises that we haven't experienced yet. Like he's coming back or like heaven. Like he's faithful in the future. He's faithful in the present. He's faithful in the past. And if I were to ask you right now to pause this video and say, jot down two or three times when God's been faithful to you in the past. I bet almost everybody, even if you're not a believer, you can see his protection or provision in your life. God's been, he's been faithful. When you look at the scriptures, there's like big moments of faithfulness, Right? And most of us have like a handful of these huge times we look back to. It's like, these are the things. And there's these moments in the scripture where people would like set up memorial stones to remind them of the faithfulness of God. And then they'd be able to tell their kids about the faithfulness of God. Like in Joshua, and they crossed the Jordan and they built the memorial stones that were there. They laid them down so that they could tell the next generation, hey, this is what God did here. Or, or in 1 Samuel chapter 7. What's happened there is there's been a revival. I've had several people tell me that they think through this virus what's happening is that God's stirring for revival. Can you pray for that? What happens in Samuel is that after the book of Judges, Samuel starts leading, God brings revival. Real revival always has genuine repentance. And the people repent of their false gods. They turn back to God. They're following him. But then the enemy attacks because that's what will happen. And then God supernaturally gives victory. And then 1 Samuel chapter 7 Samuel comes and he, he names a stone Ebenezer. Now, I love our worship pastor sometimes. He's always teaching us when we're worshiping. And sometimes there's words we don't know in songs, and so he'll put the definitions up on the screen. And when he puts up the definition for Ebenezer stone, it's a, it's a stone of help. And if you read 1 Samuel chapter 7, it says, The Lord's helped us thus far. He's been faithful in the past. Why wouldn't we be, trust him to be faithful in the present? Why wouldn't we trust him to be faithful right now? Because we naturally think about the moments in the past when we ask about his faithfulness. But think about how God's faithful daily. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. His mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. He is faithful. That's why his mercies are new daily. Not just tomorrow, like right now in the present. Every day he's giving us mercy. But every day we sin, right? Like if you're willing to be honest about that. Some people lie, claim they don't have any sin. The Bible talks about that. But in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just. So our forgiveness is based not on our obedience, on his faithfulness. He's faithful and just and will forgive us of sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Or even if you don't want to talk about the sin you actually do, everybody's tempted to sin. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13? No temptation has seized you, but what's common to man. We've all experienced the same temptations. And God is faithful He'll provide a way out every time he's giving you. You might not take it. You might not see it. There's always an opportunity for you to, to get out of the temptation. You think about 2 Timothy where it talks about even when we're faithless, he's faithful. It's part of his character. It's who he is. God's faithful daily, on a daily basis. There's no greater picture of his faithfulness, though, than when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's olive trees around, dirt on the ground, his disciples are sleeping, and he's on the ground, and blood starts to drip into the sand. 
Because you see there a battle of desires. Everything in his humanity wants something other than the cross. And he says to the Father, if there's any other way, And Hebrews tells us that none of us have struggled with sin to the point of shedding blood. He did. And he's wrestling there over our sin. He has never sinned. And he's coming there because of our sin. We'll then take the wrath of God in that moment. He says, if there's any other way, there's not another way. Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. And the only way that was going to happen is if he would go to the cross. And he's going, if there's any other way, if there was another way, how cruel does the Father have to be to send his son to the cross? There's no other way. So there's any other way. Let this cup pass. But then he goes to the cross, and the Bible says that no one took his life. He laid it down. And so how did he go willingly laying his life down to the cross when he's begging if there's any other way? Hebrews tells us the answer to that, too. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're being encouraged to be faithful, to throw off all the sin that entangles. And it says that we should keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and the shame because of joy? See, that's an interesting thought. What's the joy? The joy is that he does what the Father tells him to do. The joy is having a relationship with you and me, the future joy that's coming in the midst of suffering and trials of many kinds and poverty and affliction. He who was rich became poor so that we could be the righteousness, that we could be blessed with forgiveness in him. He was doing it for joy. A lot of times when we talk to people about sin, we tell them, like, if you do this sin, all these bad things are going to happen. And people see the sin as the joy. And what we forget to tell people is, you realize the sin's what's hindering you from experiencing true joy, right? Because your sin's evidence that you're not trusting God. And the way that you're going to delight in Him is by trusting Him. See, trusting in God is what leads to delighting in God. So how do we know if we're trusting in him? We know how we grow in trust. We feast on his faithfulness. But how do we know if we're trusting him? How can we look at our lives? And one of the ways that we see in this passage of scripture is that we're willing to wait on him. See, when you're trusting God, you're willing to wait on God. When you're trusting in God, you're willing to wait on God. Look at what it says in verse 7. Psalm 37, verse 7. It says, be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So be still. Wait. But I thought we were supposed to do good. And actions. One of the actions he tells us is be patient. You know our impatience is an evidence of our lack of pleasure in God. But the reality is that most of us, if you're willing to be honest, I know for me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, we don't like, to, we hate waiting. When I try to teach my kids about waiting, one of the illustrations I give them is I said, when I was a kid, like that's how parents talk, right? When I, way back when I was a kid, they only played cartoons on TV one day a week. And some of you have little kids sitting there watching this with you right now, they might be looking at you, look at them and go, he's not lying. He's not lying. One day, Saturday mornings, the only time they had cartoons on. If you overslept on Saturday, you didn't get to watch cartoons for a whole nother week. They can't even fathom this idea because we've got a remote control that goes to our TV that you can push buttons and Netflix pops up with millions of cartoons at your disposal at any moment on demand, like whatever devices you got on your TV, you can pull up all this stuff. And then DVR, like think about DVR, skipping commercials. Do you remember when DVR first came out? That the argument that they gave for why you should have a DVR on your TV is you can pause live TV. You can skip commercials. You can... Basically, what they were telling you was, you can control, take control of your life. 
So let me ask you this. We don't like to wait. What if the people who developed DVR came up with a way that was more advanced, that you could control your life, that you could pause and fast forward things in your life with a remote? What if there was a button you could push that could skip every moment you had to wait? Would you do it? Answer, you don't have to answer that one out loud, but answer honestly in your heart. When you're in your commute on the way home, when you got to go to the DMV, when you're at the... Do you ever go to the supermarket and you're in line and you're like, 20 items or less, this guy's got 25 items. I'm not going to complain because I'm a Christian, so I'm going to smile, but I'm upset in my heart. You ever, do you ever think... Do you, you ever had a person in front of you pull out a paper check? Like, I've th- have you, I'm just going to tell you my moment. People pull, this lady pulls out a paper check and I'm thinking, did you ride here on a dinosaur? Like, what are you doing? Who's using paper checks? Scan something. Don't paper checks because I don't want to wait. I'd probably push the button. Would you push the button? If you could skip waiting moments, like you can skip commercials watching TV, would you push the button? If you did, let me tell you statistically what would happen in our lives. If you skipped the waiting. Statistically, the average American waits in line between 5 and 10 years of their life. Obviously, it depends how many times you go to the DMV, do you go to amusement parks, at the supermarket, the different lines we get in. But between five and ten years, would you really push the button and skip and miss five to ten years of your life? Average American waits in at red lights about four months of their life. Average red lights between 60 and 90 seconds. We spend about a month on hold on customer service. I'm pretty, I think I'd, even knowing that and preaching this and knowing that, I think I probably would push the button on that one. What about you? Would you skip those moments? But let me share to you what the Bible says about waiting, that God's doing a work in the waiting. It says this in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No, I has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. In other words, God's working while we're waiting. Those waiting moments, those interruptions in our lives, God still has a plan in those moments, right? You said yes at the beginning, I think. So God still has a plan on those moments. He's doing a work, and he's doing a work in our hearts. Whether our hearts are fearful, whether our hearts are impatient, whether our hearts are trusting, whether our hearts aren't trusting, he's doing a work in those moments. Are you going to skip that work? Like think, about, think about when the, the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14. In chapter 14, verse 14, do you know what God says to them? Be still. You, you, don't, you just need to wait. The Lord's going to fight for you. Can you imagine if they had the DVR button and they could skip that moment? Don't you think if you were in front of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's crushing down on you, and you think you're about to, it's like time to, time to skip ahead. Some of you are like, if I had two years till retirement, skip ahead. If I had a couple weeks till vacation, skip ahead. Of course I'm skipping Pharaoh destroying us. Imagine you hit the button. Then you're on the other side of the sea. There's all these dead Egyptians. You don't know what happened. You missed the moment. You missed the work that God wanted to do where you were supposed to be still. What does he say here in verse 7? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You see, there's not a person in the Bible that we see that walks by faith that God uses in significant ways that doesn't have a season of significant waiting. Think about Abraham, 25 years. He's promised he's going to have a land seed, but the seed is a son, 25 years before he has a son. Think about Jacob. He wants to get married to this woman. 14 years he has to work for this woman. Joseph, when he's in jail, You just start picking people. David writes this, right? He's an older man. Verse 25 told us, David writes this. Do you know he gets anointed to be king in 1 Samuel chapter 16? And scholars debate about how long, but it's somewhere between 15 and 20 years before he becomes king. And he flees from Saul. Saul tries to kill him. 
He's hiding in a cave at one point. Saul comes in there. He could kill Saul in that moment. But he doesn't. Because the guy who writes this psalm knows because he's lived this out. He's an old man now. He's saying, be still. Wait. And what happens in that story is that Saul goes in there to relieve himself. And he's vulnerable. David's in the cave. Of all the caves in Engedi he could go into, he goes in the cave where David's at. God's orchestrated this. Instead of cutting his throat, he cuts off a corner of his robe and then he shows him. He I could have, but I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Because he knew the throne wasn't his to take. It was God's to give. When we try and rush in and we try to make things happen on our own, we always cause a mess. Look at Abraham, what happens with him and Hagar in, in, in Genesis. It still caused problems in the Middle East to this day. And some of us, we'd, we'd hit the button and we evidence that. We don't have a button. But we try to manipulate, we try to make things happen. Because what we want is results. You think about it, when we pray, like how many of us are praying for results? I want healing, I want salvation, I want an outcome, right? I want, I want the job now, I want to fix the problem. We're not praying about process. We're praying for results. We want results, God wants relationship. We want, thinking about this virus and what's happening, we want normalcy, God wants dependency. We want to change the circumstances, fix the circumstances. God's using the circumstances to change and fix things in our soul, in our hearts. And so when he calls you to wait, will you? That's evidence of trust. And that's how you delight. Do you, do you delight in him? Because that's what he's inviting us into. He doesn't want you to just know stuff about him. He doesn't want you just to state facts about him. He wants you to delight in him. He says, delight in me. I'll give you the desires of you. I will be the desire of your heart. Because I'm the only one that can fulfill the desires of your heart. So what do we need to do? We need to trust him. Some of you are watching today and you've yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, he gave his life for you on the cross. He died on the cross so your sins could be forgiven, but you have to trust in him. That means take the weight off of whatever you're trusting in, your own good deeds, your being a good person, things you haven't done, things you have done, and place them on what Jesus Christ did when he died for you on the cross. And ask him to forgive you and surrender your life to him. Say, I'll do what you say regardless of the results. That's trust. Some of you have trusted him, but you're not trusting him. You trusted him for your salvation, but you're not trusting him today, and that's why you're missing out on delighting in him. That's why we're so impatient, because we don't have pleasure in him. That, that's why we take things in our own hands. We don't, we're, we're trying to find pleasure in things apart from him because we're believing the lie that God's holding out on us and, instead of going to him. It's delight in him, and he'll give you the desires. You know what the desires are going to be? Him. And he wants relationship with you. He died for you. Do you think he's going to abandon you now? He wants relationship with you. Will you trust him? Those of you who need to trust him as Savior, will you pray with me right now and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Just even as you're, whether you're in your living room, your kitchen, wherever you're at, just, just pause for a second. Close your eyes, bow your head. Acknowledge your sin before him. Ask him to be Savior, just like this. Father, God, I, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And I want to ask your son, Jesus, to be my Savior. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. And right now, I want to ask him to be my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, would you text the number that's on your screen, just the word Jesus? And we've got some information just to give you to help wherever you're at around the world. We just want to send you some information about some next steps in your relationship with Jesus and how you can grow in that relationship. You started a relationship with him now, but it continues for the rest of your life. He's giving you eternal life, which is relationship with him. 
And, and let me pray for you if you're already a follower of Jesus. Father, I come before you right now and some of us have anxiety in these moments. And God, we want to we roll that anxiety in you. We want to put that anxiety on you. We, we believe you care for us. And so we cast our cares upon you. Some of us have fear. God, we, will, you, will you remove the fear that we have of circumstances, of people, of diseases, of all that stuff? And will you give us great faith in you that we'd walk in wisdom but not fear? Some of us are struggling with impatience. And God, will you help us to trust you, to come back to your character, that you are a God who works for those who wait on him? Will you work? Will you do a work? Some of us want to rush out of this moment, not because we just want to see our friends, we want to get back to normal, because we don't want to deal with the stuff that's going on in our hearts. Will you help us to pause, to be still, and to be with you? And will you meet us in this time? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to talk with one of our pastors or an elder or one of our prayer team members, if you just text the word prayer, to the numbers on your screen right now. We'd love to be able to talk with you, get to know you more, and you can just do it via text or you can do a phone call or we can set up a Zoom meeting, however you'd like to do that. Thank you so much for joining us today in worship. Will you read with me our benediction? From the book of Jude, Jude 24 and 25, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.